0: As I pointed out last week, when I started the concept of topics and Proverbs, I was thinking more along the lines of what so many of my books do. They give you you know, work ethic, uh, finances, uh, parenting, uh, godly relationships, things like that. And, and I imagine we will cover those. But uh, Pastor and I have been talking probably for a few years now. And one of the things that we've discovered is In the uh, 21st century American church, we do not need the grace of God. We can live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And uh, we do just fine, don't we? (laughs) Yes, I, I am being a little sarcastic. But truly, American Christianity has become something that we can do... And you might say, well, how do you know that? Well, h- how, many, how many people within the evangelical church in America today have read through their Bible? And, and I recognize that at this church, probably quite a few. Um, how many of them get into their Bible on a relatively daily basis? The Scripture says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. Richly, and uh, well, statistically speaking, uh, the evangelical church in America today is pretty biblically ignorant. And part of the reason is is because we've narrowed Christianity down to: I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. That kind of a thing. Um, here, here's all the rules. If you follow the rules, you're, and you don't have to be a legalist to do that. You just have to think that I'm supposed to be a decent person, and so I'm going to be a decent person, and I'm okay. Um, all you have to do is go to our counseling courses and take up some marriage counseling, and you'll find out that, yeah, uh, most people aren't as decent as you'd like them to be or like you, you'd, they'd like you to think they are. Uh, So when I started doing the topics in Proverbs, the one book that I pointed out last week, uh, really made a big deal about the fear of the Lord. And obviously, the fear of the Lord is in both Old and New Testaments. It is something that is uh, uh, concerning in the sense that if God is not in His proper place in your mind, then chances are He's more like me. And when we look at Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. God is angry at two things there, and most people are going to describe the behavior of people, where ungodliness is really just living life without taking God into thought. What what does God want me to do here? Um... So when we come to our American Christianity, the concept of surrender, yielding, submitting to God is, uh, well, it's, it's a strange concept. And again, that's because the fear of the Lord is not something we really take a hold of. Uh, seeking and finding. You know, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. That's a New Testament as well as an Old Testament concept. What are we seeking for? Wisdom. Why? So I can be smarter than the other uh, dingbats around. No, it's so that I can live life the way God wants me to live. And of course, last week we talked about trust. So when you come to the fear of the Lord, you really are living in reliance upon God's Word. And then this week, we're talking about living it out, in the sense of worship. Uh, Again, worship, uh, somewhere in the rush, worship became the song part of the service instead of the living daily in obedience. And and if you've tried to live in obedience to the Word of God, hopefully you have uh, come to the realization that, yeah, you know, I really am not doing a very good job. And it's because you weren't meant to do it. You were meant to recognize your need for the power of God in your life and then walk in that power. As Pastor pointed out this morning, the concept of the Holy Spirit enabling. um, The IFCA definition, I don't know if they've changed it over the years, but uh, back when I was in Bible college and even after i came back from brazil the ifca definition of being filled with the spirit was being controlled by god's not interested in controlling people if he was this christian life would be a whole lot easier okay because he would just click the button and boom everybody's doing what he wants to do wants them to do but he is interested in when they get their mind in the right place empowering them to live the life that God has called them to live. One of the reasons why I've emphasized First Peter 3.15, consecrate the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. Now, that's a, a summarized version of the passage, but um, every time I turn around, someone wants to start a, uh, an evangelism program. Okay, go ahead but god 's program is you living in the power of the spirit, walking if you will, in worship. Remember God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The trust is you don't you know the truth. the worship is you're walking in the spirit so uh, let's pray and we 'll take a look at worship. Father, thank you again for your love for your care. As we consider the things that we're looking at this evening, we ask that you'd open our eyes. Uh, We are slow of brain when it comes to spiritual things. You are a great and awesome God, and we know this. We don't always take it into account as we live day to day. We live in a material world. We're bombarded by the material, by the uh, five senses that you've given us, and that's not your fault. That's the way the world runs. And so often it's easy to uh, just consider life from those five senses. And we, your children, know there is so much more. So we would ask, Lord, open our eyes, give us grace to see, to understand, and then the power of your Spirit to do according to your Word, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so what does worship entail? Well, it's going to entail a few things here, but let's start with a sacrifice, uh pastor was telling us at the board meeting the other night that uh, a plumber that he knew uh, was getting into the worship of the Nordic gods. It's kind of like, well, isn't that nice? You know, Thor and Odin and stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't know what your TV habits are, and please don't judge me for mine, but uh, we watched a series called Vikings, and uh, one of the things that the Vikings liked to do was... Uh, Human sacrifice uh, they would find someone it was a it was a privilege to be chosen to be that sacrifice and uh, they and if things were really bad they 'd find a handful of them you know uh, several maybe a, a couple of virgins, some young uh, boys and uh, and some warriors you know, uh, but uh, they would kill them, and uh, that would be their sacrifice and because they were willing to be sacrificed, they would go to the halls of Odin, Valhalla, etc. So uh, he was talking about this plumber that he knows that's into the Nordic neo-paganism. Neo, Neo, meaning new, because he asked, well, how do you handle your human sacrifices? And they guy, oh, we don't do that. Uh, The Norse gods are our gentler, kinder gods now. Um, So they've taken the Christian values and behavior from what they considered a Christless Christianity and brought them over to their paganism, so now there's not the need for human sacrifice. That's nice, because you don't have to worry about them doing that to you. (laughs) But sacrifice is part of worship. Proverbs 15, verse 8, you'll see there underneath number 1, the verse... The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Now, notice the problem is not the offering, but the offerer. Uh, because of benevolence, I, I meet a lot of religious people that go to various churches in the metro east area. And uh, one of the biggest complaints by so many of the poverty stricken is the churches that not only expect but inspect your tithe. Uh, I was picking on someone the other day. They were in here. They come in every year. (laughs) And uh, we've developed a little bit of a relationship. And she goes, yeah, I go to this church over here, and and, and I give my tithe. And I go, why would you do that? Because the Bible says so. And I go, yeah, Old Testament. New Testament doesn't say that. You might find the word tithe in the Gospels, but after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what does the Bible teach? We give as we've been given unto. We determine between us and the Lord what we can give, and, and we give it joyfully. It's not a tithe. It's, you might give 50%. Most of us don't. <laughs> okay? Uh, it wouldn't be a problem if you did, but it's not something that's under compulsion, Got to have a biblical view of these things. But uh, so notice, it's not the offering, it's the offerer. It is the sacrifice of the wicked. That's an abomination to the Lord. So the wicked, let me see, what does the Bible say about them? The word for wicked there is Rasha. They are morally wrong. They're an actively bad person. They're a politician. I mean, uh, they're condemned, they're guilty, uh, ungodly, wicked. uh, They do wrong. Okay? Uh, I was watching a video today. Uh, Jacksonville uh, sheriff was talking about a particular event where someone had used a gun, and uh, immediately the uh, the discussion always goes to guns. And he goes, "You know, if I took my gun off my belt right now and put it right here, can I tell you it would do nothing? It is not the gun. The gun is the instrument." It is wicked people with a gun that is the problem. It's kind of like, right on, okay? Right on. So they are morally wrong. They're wicked people. Uh, the wicked are rebellious. They are not interested in a relationship with God. Let me read a couple of verses for you. By the way, that's Isaiah 29, 13, and 14. "'Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men, therefore, behold, I will arise, do a marvelous work among the people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden.'" So here they were, uh, here's the rules, follow the rules, you're okay with God. Kind of like, no, not at all. They were rebellious people. Uh, They were checking the religion box, Matthew 15, 1-11. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, "'Why do your disciples transgress the the, uh, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread.'" I worked in the public works department in Middletown, Connecticut as a teenager. And here we are picking up garbage, leaves, cleaning out uh, sewer drain pipes, the whole bit. And at lunchtime, there was no place to wash your hands. So you got out a dirty old rag and you wiped them off. You got out your knife that you'd been cutting up asphalt shingles with. And you cut your tomato, put it on your sandwich, and you ate it. And you're still alive. That's right. (laughs) Uh, But here, they didn't wash their hands when they ate bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your mother and your father. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God. Then he need not... "'Honor his father or mother. "'Thus you have made the commandment of God "'of no effect by your tradition. "'Hypocrites! "'Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, "'saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth "'and honor me with their lips, "'but their heart is far from me, "'and in vain they worship me, "'teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. "'When he called the multitude to himself, "'he said, hear and understand. "'It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man.' But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. So these people, that are the wicked, are checking the religion box. Uh, I've said occasionally that unfortunately I find that a lot of people do the church thing. Uh, the pastor has said in the past that people tithe their time to God. If they come to church on Sunday, they've done their duty, now the rest of the week is theirs. Now, I'm sorry, but that's so unbiblically true. or It's not true. It's, it's so unbiblical, it's a, but it's a mindset. Now, am I calling these people wicked? No. They're, they're, they're believing lies. You don't check off the religious box. This is a relationship that we have with God. Uh, the rebellious also, uh, the sacrifice may ease the conscience for the wrongdoing, and, and and I don't know about you, but depending on where you are and you walk, you might be a little spiritually immature and feel as though, oh, man, I really blew it. Now I need to do some good things to make up for the bad that I did. Stop it. Just stop it. Grow up. Believe what God says. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would you want to continue in the habitual behavior of the wicked one. Because that's why they're doing that. You know, ease the conscience. Stop easing the conscience. You're guilty. Confess it. Move on. Okay? Uh, Notice number three, the rebellious are presumptuous. I mean, the wicked are presumptuous. They're thinking that the occasional sacrifice might cause the moral demands of the law to be overlooked. How many of you have heard Well, I think the good that I do outweighs the bad. That's presumptuous. And and by the way, (laughs) look around. Is Romans 3 not becoming a little bit more clear in this day and age? There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that seeks after God. Oh, everybody talks about, well, I was seeking after God. It's kind of like, If you were seeking after God, it's because God did something in you to cause you to seek. Because dead in your sins and trespasses means dead in your sins and trespasses. Dead people don't seek after things. Okay, There's no one that seeks after God. They've all gone out of the way. Together, they've become unprofitable. They have no eternal value uh, in anything that they think or do. There is none that does good. No, not one. If that's not becoming clear to you, stay around for the tribulation. Now, I I know if you're saved, you're not going to get to do that. But seriously, when you look at Thessalonians and see what God's going to allow to happen, or direct to happen, depending on how you want to think about that whole thing, these people are going to believe a lie because they did not obey the truth. And When the restrainer, the one that restrains sin, is removed, people want to argue about church, government, Holy Spirit. I personally believe it's the Holy Spirit that does the restraining. When he stops restraining, sin's going to run rampant. And when it does, people are still going to think that they're not bad. And where they blew it, they can do something to kind of make up for it. Oy vey. Okay, let's look at a couple of verses here. Jeremiah, excuse me, Isaiah 1, 11 to 17. uh, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? Whenever I see questions like that, it's kind of like, Lord, you're the one that told us to do them, you know? But God's trying to make a point here. You can kill 100,000 sheep. It doesn't do anything because it's the heart that's the issue, not the sacrifice. Uh, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? Again, I sit there and say, uh, you did. Uh, But notice he says, to trample my courts. Bring no more futile sacrifices Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. So here they've got a lot of religious activity going on, but no heart. Okay? Uh, he goes on to say, um, your uh, new moons and uh, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Uh, pastor's been trying to remind us. Who's the one that came up with the idea of the feasts? yeah the Lord did, but again, they had so tainted them that he 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 doesn't like them they're not fulfilling uh the purpose that He has for them, uh even though you uh make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Can anybody do that? The answer of course is no. Uh, put away the evil of your doings from before me my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Jeremiah 7, 21-24. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Remember, Isaiah's talking to Israel, the northern ten tribes. Jeremiah 100, 150 years later is saying the same things to Judah, the southern tribes. Okay? Thus says the Lord, host the God of Israel, add your, uh, your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying... Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and dictates of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. So you can see they were presumptuous thinking, If I do the religious things, it will outdo the bad things that I've done, and everything's okay between me and God. And God's sitting there saying, no, it really isn't. The wicked are also manipulative. They try and win God over so that He'll give them what they desire. Um, 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23 uh, Saul has come back. He's kept uh, King um, Agag alive. And supposedly the people kept all the best of the sheep for offerings and sacrifices. Samuel said, "'Has the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king.'" Proverbs 16.2, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his spirit. 17.3, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Proverbs 20.27, 20, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Uh, proverbs twenty one two every way in a man of a man is right in his own eyes. That's again that concept of ungodliness. Um, God does it. he's not going to hold me accountable or if he is, he's a lot like me, so I can do this and I don't have to worry about it. Um, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart uh, twenty four twelve if you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? And then uh, we'll go back to the outline here, because I was going to read the next verse, but we're not there yet. (laughs) Uh, Letter C. Uh, One can be very religious and very lost. Uh, You know, probably the perfect example of that is the Pope. Again, Those of you that are not here, you're listening online, I'm not talking about your Catholic friends. I'm talking about Catholic doctrine, and the Pope is a religious leader that every time he says something, it seems like, did you not read the Bible? The Bible kind of says the opposite of that. Um, So, all right, uh, moving right along, letter D. If we did everything right, which of course is rare, we would be meeting the minimum requirement. Even as saved people, how much do we mess up? If we did everything right, we would be meeting the minimum requirement. Luke uh, 17.10. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what is our duty to do. I don't know about you, but when you're young, uh, you read the Bible, you see the story of David. You see what God thought of David, Abraham, Moses, obviously Jesus, but we know we can't measure up to that. So I want to be the next David. How many Davids are there? One David, and it's not David Wells. (laughs) He was the king of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. Now, can you be a person after God's own heart? Sure. What does that entail? Doing like David did. When you're messing up, you're running back to God. You're dealing with it. Now, you might need to be confronted by that thing, but when you're confronted, there's no making excuses. There's no justifying. There's, oh yeah, and you get on your knees and on your face before God, and you deal with it. See, So when I was in Bible college, you know, it's kind of like, oh man, I want want to be like that. And then I came to a point where it's kind of like, you know, there's only one David in the Bible. So I'm probably not going to be a David. Well, I can still be something. And years go on. And what am I? Well, I'm the same thing I have been for quite a while. I'm not some big-named pastor, star... And it's kind of like, you know, you know the parable of the talents where they give uh, talents according to their ability? And one guy got five, and one guy got two, and one guy got one. I used to think I was the guy with five. I'm hoping I'm not the guy with one now, okay? Now, now the, the, only thing, the only problem the guy with one had was he believed something that was wrong, and he did not act according to what he said he believed. That was the problem. Having one, if if that's what you're able to have, well, you're supposed to be faithful with it. He wasn't faithful with it. If he had believed what he said he believed, Jesus said you would have put it in the bank and got some interest. Again, the whole idea is making profit, bringing glory to God. Uh, So it is one of those things where we have people that come here that uh, think we ought to be like John MacArthur. Pastor is not John MacArthur. Al is not John MacArthur. In fact, Al isn't Doug White. It's okay, okay? Uh, but again, for these uh, religious people, you can be very religious, very lost. If you did everything right, you'd only be doing the minimum. Number two, when it comes to sacrifice, Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Isn't that interesting? Again, the compression, this is a compression of 1 Samuel 15, 22 to 23 to obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, teaching children to apologize or teaching them to be more careful so they don't need to apologize. We have a couple of granddaughters. Uh, they are cute little buggers. And um, uh, the older one, uh, well, they, they both take turns hitting each other. And then, of course, someone's going to cry. And uh, normally it's the older one that has caused the younger one to cry. And, and when the crying starts, she knows the adults now... Have are attending to this. I'm sorry. No, she isn't. She's a dirty, rotten, scum-of-the-earth sinner that got caught. So she's trying not to get into worse trouble. I'm sorry. And it's kind of like, and I, I told her last week, week before, I said, instead of saying you're sorry, why don't you stop hitting your sister? You know, that would be the loving thing to do. Uh, strange concept at this uh, stage of her life. They're both toddlers, so and we love them. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, teaching children to abolo- apologize or teach them to be more careful so they don't need to apologize. Let her see a godly walk is one part of acceptable worship. Okay, Number three, Proverbs 21, 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? This is called the fortiori argument. If A is bad, A plus B is worse. So if it's bad for an unrepentant sinner to offer a sacrifice, it is worse to do so with an ulterior motive. How many people... Well, how many people have been taught when it comes to giving that if you don't give, God's going to get that money from you somehow? Uh, I remember years ago, my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, they had gotten away from tithing for a little bit. They were in a Baptist church. It was pretty legalistic. And all of a sudden, their minivan broke down, and it cost them exactly the same amount that they hadn't tithed to get it fixed. Kind of like, I'm not saying God wouldn't do something like that. What I am saying is if he did, it was to, again, get their attention, get their hearts, not drain their pocketbooks. Um, But people are taught in the health and wealth gospel orientation that if you give, God's going to shake it, pack it down, you know, and stuff more in there, and he's going to give it back to you a hundredfold. And Jesus does talk about something like that. Uh, but he's talking there, not here, okay? And so, okay, you know, I really can't afford it, but if I give this, God's going to give it back to me. Yeah, God is just not interested in their money, okay? He doesn't need their money, and we recognize that the church has light bill, heat bill, stuff like that. We, we sure do like it light in here. It's easier to see the heat. Uh, someone said something about, You know, the glory room is only set at 70 degrees in there on the weekend. It gets kind of hot. Well, the school wanted it that way. Not exactly sure. Don't know all the details. Not worried about it. But I know that when I've been in there teaching, it's usually the women that are complaining that it's too cold. (laughs) Kind of like, come to the interior wall. It's warmer over here, I think. I don't know, uh, but so yeah, the church needs money. God doesn't, but God wants giving to be done with the right kind of heart. Okay, so that uh, notice uh, wicked intent. The word there in some Bibles is actually translated scheme. Uh, zima it's a plan, especially a bad one, a heinous crime, uh, lewd or lewdly or lewdliness, uh, mischief, purpose, thought, wicked device, wicked mind, wickedness. So again, it comes down to that uh, concept of giving, hoping God will bless my plans. First Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on the appearance of the height of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So in this particular case, we're wanting God to bless our plans. God's looking at the heart. Kind of like, yeah, I'm not really interested in what your plans are. I'm interested in getting your uh, heart together. Uh, So other people, they give to impress someone else. Uh, Neither one of those uh, intentions are good. That brings us to, we've dealt with sacrifices now, that brings us to offerings. Uh, Again, we don't, maybe we ought to do a sermon sometime on giving sacrificially, okay? I I know some people in the church probably do. Um, When we talk about our mission budget, uh, we for the size of the church that we are and the amount of money that goes through this church we have a very very small mission budget uh and we have a hard time meeting it why because uh, it's easy to forget things and since we don't bring attention to it a lot uh very often it kind of goes off to we kind of forget and then jim beck has to sit there and say hey i got to write some checks transfer a thousand dollars from the general fund over to the uh, missions budget so i can take care of business uh, a couple months back, I announced it on the first Sunday of the month. It's Mission Sunday. This is what goes on, uh, because a lot of the newer people, they didn't know. And our mission budget went, went through the roof. Now, I hope that was above and beyond their normal giving, because still wanted to get a salary, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> but uh, again, uh, we think of uh, offerings as the sacrifice of the Old Testament. No, sacrifice is one thing, offerings are another. Okay, so offerings. Proverbs 3 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So, in this particular one, line B intensifies the idea of line A. The verb to glorify or honor the Lord uh, is not repeated in line B so that it dominates both lines. So, because he's brought it up in the first line, doesn't talk about it in the second. It's still the idea, but the second clarifies a little bit more the first. Uh, the noun wealth or possessions is intensified by first fruits, which means first and best, the chief or the principal thing. When Lynn and I were uh, missionary appointees, we went to a variety of churches that had what they called a mission closet. Missionaries could stop in there and they could uh, take some things, clothing, Uh, blankets, things like that, that people had donated. And very often, here we are, late 90s, mid to late 90s, and most of the missions closets had clothes from the 70s. Uh, God was taking care of us enough that we didn't need to uh, take too many of the 70s clothes. We were already funny looking enough, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, my kids talk about our prayer card where they were all wearing the same shirt. The boys were, and the girls were wearing similar dresses or something like that. It's kind of like, Mom, how could you do that to us? How could you make us look like Little House on the Prairie? And she goes, That was the style at the time, <laughs> you know. But uh, the the reality is, is uh, we we have a tendency to give our leftovers. And God's not interested in in leftovers. Now, I can tell you, as someone that's money-oriented, that is an easy trap to fall into. uh, Because you look at the bills, you look at the money that's left over, and though there may be more checks in the checkbook, there's no more money, and so, you know, you give accordingly. Uh, Stop feeling guilty about that. Deal with the issues that are at hand. Number one, if you're paying all your bills, you're doing what God would have you to do. Number two, if there's not, quote-unquote, a tithe left over if you're thinking like that, then you determine to give between you and God what you're going to give, and do so joyfully, not under compulsion. We have this guilty feeling that, man, this time I can only give uh, 3,000 instead of 5,000. Uh, of course, I used a very large number there. My wife tells me I exaggerate. Now, I don't, I don't believe it at all. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, I can only give 3000 Well, be happy that you can give the 3000 Some people can only give $5, you know, that kind of a thing. So uh, that's the idea there. Uh, we want to honor him with the best. Uh, he's first. Now, again, that doesn't mean give your quote-unquote tithe and then f- not pay a bill. Okay, The Bible says, "Oh, no man anything but love. So take care of your bills. Um, but that might be one of those things where you need to pray about it. Is there a better way that I can do my finances? Is there something that I can do without that I'm... Uh, Tom Bagley, when he was working benevolent... He would, the women would come in. They got their hair done up in the little beehive thing. They got their nails out about that far. They're all painted. They've got the iPhone. They can't pay their electric bill. And he would call them out. It's kind of like, how much those nails cost to get done? Tom, you know, calm, calm down here a little bit. But he would let them know, you know, you know there are some things we can do without. Our desires are not the same thing as our needs. God has promised to take care of our needs, so we give Him the best of what He gives to us. Uh, number two, the principle is clear. Keep God first. Don't give Him the leftovers. The seconds, the remnants. Malachi 1, 6-14. This is the uh, idea of robbing from God. And I'll, I'll let you look at that on your own time, just because we still have another whole page to do here. And... Uh, Want to get out of here tonight? Letter A. Wake up uh, in the morning with TV, newspaper, social media, but we only pray as a last resort or as we're falling asleep. That's the idea of robbing from God, not giving Him the best. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. When we get up in the morning, first thing we do is turn up the heat. Because it's been turned down for the nighttime, you know, cold air is better to sleep in. Um, So we turn up the heat, we make coffee, and I don't know about you, but I've got to wipe the sleep out of my eyes for, you know, 15 minutes. I have been starting to take a 30-ounce cup of water, you know, drink that whole thing down. That kind of wakes me up even better than coffee does. But I still get my cup of coffee, sit down and do some reading. It is very easy with that telephone right there to want to jump on the social media. Nope, nope, nope. I I have to control myself. Uh, Now, after I've done some reading, I might spend some time on that social media. Uh, But that, again, is the concept that we're not giving God seconds, okay? Very often, as soon as I wake up and I've sat up in bed, it's kind of like, okay, Lord, it's another day. What are we going to get done? You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, so uh, that's the idea. Letter C, prayer. So we've dealt with sacrifice, we've dealt with the offering, and now prayer. Proverbs fifteen eight 8, uh, again, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. As sacrifice may be an outward demonstration of worship, prayer demonstrates the relational aspect of Worship. God accepts prayer from the one who is his delight, the one that he favors. Who is the one that he favors? Well, first of all, the one that he favors, or the one that is his delight, uh, is the one that has faith. Genesis fifteen six, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. I believe it says there that, uh, therefore Abraham is called a friend of God. I don't know about you, but uh, friends, real friends, are, first of all, hard to come by. And second of all, they're the ones that, for the most part, you can tell them whatever. And if you need correction, they're going to say something. You know, that's why our spouses should be good friends. Okay? I heard one here recently where, Once a man has married a woman... She cannot be his friend. It's kind of like, but this is what the world is saying, you know. It's kind of like, no, that is not true. Okay? Um, there. You realize your spouse is the one you choose to love. Your kids, you kind of have to until you can kick them out of the house, you know. Uh, br- brothers and sisters, they kind of have to because dad won't put up with it if they don't. Uh, that kind of thing. But the reality is, is You put up with your spouse and continue to and continue and and because you choose to. So that is the best relationship and therefore has a friend attached to it. And then of course the person that is upright is the one that God favors. Uh, Proverbs eleven three, the integrity of the upright will guide them. Now again integrity. What they say is how they live. Okay? A lot of people believe in Jesus. How do they live? Not like they believe in Jesus. He's more of a a fact that's been accepted, and that shows they really don't have integrity. So, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. 11.6, the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. Uh, Proverbs 13, 6, Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. If you haven't been coming or listening on uh, Wednesday night, uh, the Complete Green Letters deals with position compared to condition. When we read in the Old Testament, Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless. He's not talking about a person that walks perfectly. That's his condition. He's talking about the one that has the relationship with the Lord. God has imputed righteousness to him, changed his heart so that he can live according to that. And so if he's living according to that, righteousness guards him. Okay? <clears throat> uh, if he's not, well, then he gets to suffer the consequences. But notice wickedness overthrows the sinner. Proverbs 16, 17, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. Uh, And again, we talk about position compared to condition. Position, we're in Christ. We've died with Him. uh, We've been buried with Him. We've been raised again to walk in newness of life. And when we don't walk in newness of life, what happens? We're in Romans chapter 7. I want to do the right. I keep on doing the thing that I hate to do. And God's bringing us to that point where we walk in dependence upon Him. And when we do, we will be stepping away from that evil. And then uh, Proverbs uh, 29, (coughs) excuse me, uh, 21, 29, the wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he establishes his way. Uh, So God delights in the upright also. Number two, Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. This is considered a contrasting chiasm. uh, The chiasm being that little X in the middle there. Line A, the Lord is far from. Now the contrast is line B, 1. But he hears. And he's far from the wicked, but line B the prayer of the righteous. The contrast there is the wicked compared to the prayer of the righteous. So the contrast of the wicked and the righteous. The wicked may pray, but his prayers are not favorably received. If a wicked person repents, they're no longer considered wicked. A lot of people will say that. They'll, they'll see, uh, you know, the Lord does not hear uh, the w- prayer of the wicked. Well, what if he repents? Well, if he repents, he's not wicked anymore. Okay? Okay? And it's not that God doesn't hear the prayer of the wicked; He doesn't receive it as something that He's obligated to do anything about. I don't know how many times people have said, "Well, I prayed for a new washer, and and God provided." And these are people that don't know the Lord. And I sit there and say, "You know, God's grace is wonderful. He didn't have to do that because you're not one of the family." And they go, "Well, who are you?" It's no, no, no. no. We we've already talked about. Who's part of the family? And according to your answers, you're not part of the family. Uh, yeah, it may seem like I'm bold, but the reality is, is why, why allow people to continue to believe lies? Okay? Because the, if they continue to believe that lie, they're going to die and go to hell. There, there's no reason to let them believe that lie. They may not like me when, I, when they leave. Most of them do. But the reality is, is why let them believe lies? Uh, Live not by lies, something we studied last year. Okay, so moving right along. The wicked are not seen as praying, but it doesn't matter what they are doing. God is far from him. Again, there's none righteous. They don't do good. They don't seek after him. Everything they do is worthless. It has no eternal value. Uh, Number three, those who are right in God's eyes have his ear because they are close to him. Uh, Psalm 728. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Proverbs 3.32. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. I was counseling a young man here recently, going through a divorce. And um, I reminded him, I said, You need to remember, God is your God. He's not her God. She's not a believer. She's the one that's decided to leave. So though the courts may normally do things a certain way, you make sure you're praying, talking to God, coming up with the plan that's necessary to answer the questions of the judge and stuff like that, understand where your finances are going so you know how you're going to pay for all of the things that they're going to expect you to pay for. Um, otherwise, you can pretty well plan on it's going to go the other way. But remember, God is your God. He can allow you to find grace in the eyes of the judge and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, uh, He's close to us. I mean... He lives inside of us, <laughs> right? Uh, that's pretty close, okay? All right, moving right along. Uh, number three, Proverbs 28.9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law. This is a pretty important point about the wicked. Even his prayer is an abomination. So notice, prayer is exalted among uh, many of the most important Christian disciplines. I've said it myself. I think prayer is one of the harder uh, disciplines of the Christian life, and the reason is, is when you're talking to God, there's no pulling the wool over His eyes. He knows everything about you, and because we think so often of our condition instead of our position, we're sitting there going, that kind of a thing. Uh, we need to believe what God says is true about us in our position, and we go before the throne of grace boldly because of that. Not because of how I've lived. Now, if I've not been living right, then deal with it. But we go boldly because He is our God. He is our Father. That kind of a thing. So it is considered uh, one of the most important Christian disciplines. But uh, consider a couple things. Prayer is considered to be the key to holiness, power, effectiveness, revival, and personal spiritual growth. I mean, we honor people like Brother James of the Bible. He was called Old Camel Knees. If you go to Jerusalem and see where his room was over in the corner, there's a couple of indentations in the stone floor where he spent a lot of time on his knees in prayer. Wow! Don't you wish you were that kind of Christian? Yeah. And everything that I just said, it can be a key to all of those things. But, What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. It's anything that you say to God. Prayer is not a dialogue. Uh, There's a movement going on uh, these days. A.W. Tozer believed in what we would call contemplative prayer. He would open his Bible, be reading through it on his knees, and he would pray, Lord, I don't understand that. Open my eyes. Now, what does the Bible say the Spirit of God does? He enlightens the eyes. He leads us into all truth. So what is he praying? He's praying, God, help me to understand this. And before long, he has an understanding of the passage. Things might come to mind and stuff like that. The Spirit of God is leading him into all truth. God is not having a dialogue with him. He's not sitting there saying, yeah, but uh, what about this verse over here? (laughs) He is asking, and the answer, if you will, is not part of prayer. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See the difference? Um, Today, we have groups that believe in what we call contemplative prayer, where they believe they're receiving direct revelation from God. Now, here's where the problem comes in. If God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, through these great and precious promises, we can participate in the divine nature. What more do we need? Every now and again, I see the meme on uh, social media that says, if Paul were alive today, the churches in America would be receiving a letter. The reality is, is if Paul were alive today and sent a letter to the churches of America, can I tell you, everything that you see in the letters probably Corinthians more than all the rest, but everything you see in the letters would be covered in that letter. There'd be nothing new. There is no need for anything new. And therefore, the people that believe in contemplative prayer as a dialogue where God is talking to them are misled. Okay? That's the best way to put it. Prayer is drawing near to God with adoration, confession, Supplication. Now you can put Thanksgiving before supplication if you'd like to. That way you've got your ACTS: Acts, okay. But the reality is you're dealing with the concept of the fear of the Lord. He is awesome. Dealing with my monkeys, confession, and talking to him about the things that you need or the things that you desire for others. Okay, uh, that's basically what prayer is. So number a letter B. The one not interested in hearing or doing God's Word, prayer is an abomination. An abomination is anything that is disgusting, repelling, morally offensive to, notice, God. Not to you. This whole idea of being triggered in today's day and age. They're offended by everything. Uh, they might call some of the things that we believe in and hold dearly to because the Word of God says it, they might consider those things an abomination. They'd be wrong, but they're welcome to. We we don't really care what they think. It's what God thinks, okay? So notice, uh, commonly understood, uh, abominations that are commonly understood Homosexuality, Leviticus 18.22. Everybody wants to quote Leviticus 18.22 because it uses the word abomination. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. It tells you everything you need to know. It's not just an Old Testament concept. It's a New Testament concept too. Everybody goes, well, if you quote the Old Testament law, then you're not allowed to eat shrimp. I had some last night. It's not what goes into a man's mouth, but what comes out that uh, defiles him. Um, I'm not under the law. I died to the law that I might live according to the grace of God. That kind of thing. But uh, for those who get hung up on, well, you're quoting the Old Testament law. You've got to live by the whole thing. They're right. But see, I died to the law. I don't got to worry about that. It's already been fulfilled in Christ. But the New Testament says it also. It just doesn't call it an abomination. It says that they are doing that which is against nature. Okay, so homosexuality is an understood abomination. Idolatry in uh, Deuteronomy seven twenty-five, twenty-six. It says, you uh, shall burn the carved images of of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God, nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed uh, to destruction like it. So idolatry is an abomination as well as if we're going to uh, step away from idolatry and burn down their idol to collect the gold afterwards. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be an abomination too. So that, uh, the next one on the top of the next page, apostasy, um, Deuteronomy thirteen fourteen. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently, and if there indeed, uh, excuse me, and if it is indeed true and certain and I lost the rest of the verse. Shame on me. Well, you can look that one up, Deuteronomy 13, 14. But think about uh, Lynn's seen it uh, on some of the studies she's done. I've seen it on social media. We're seeing more and more people that are claiming to be ex-Christians, and they're going through deconstruction. No, they've apostatized. Okay? Now, whether or not they were ever saved... That's another discussion altogether. But they have left, and now they're trying to point out to everybody all the wrong that they left. That's why they left it, because it was all wrong. And again, who's the judge in that whole thing? The fallible human, not the living God. Now, if the living God uh, judges the house of God, and he says he does, uh, are there plenty of things that he can judge? Sure enough. We're a bunch of dirty, rotten, scum-of-the-earth sinners if it isn't for Jesus. As we learn to walk with Him, He deals with that stuff. Where we're unwilling to learn, He deals with that stuff. Wow. Okay? So apostasy is an abomination. Transvestitism. We're seeing that here. And, and, you know, Deuteronomy 22.5. Oh, there's the rest of 13.14. I found it on the next page. (laughs) And if it it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, again, the whole idea, uh, they have fallen away. Deuteronomy 22.5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man uh, put on a woman's garment. For all who uh, do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Uh, I like this verse because everybody talks about uh, women shouldn't wear men's clothes, men shouldn't wear uh, women's clothes. It's kind of like, what did men wear when this verse was written? They wore robes, what we would now call a dress. But it was a different kind of dress than the woman's dress, okay? (laughs) Uh, But God is not as concerned with the quote-unquote clothing as much as a man ought to be seen as a man, a woman ought to be seen as a woman. Uh, Because, again, though the culture has gone over there, my mom, back in the 50s, had to buy her jeans in the men's department. Was she doing this? No. She was very obviously a woman. But that was the only place she could buy jeans that would fit curvatures and stuff like that. Okay? Um, It wasn't the clothing. It was what was trying to be accomplished. And in this particular case, transvest is an abomination. Burning one's child alive to a false god. 2 Kings 16.3 But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. Now, we have our equivalent today. We're not offering too many children on uh, the altar, burning sacrifices and stuff like that. But... If abortion isn't uh, today's cultural equivalency, um, we're getting rid of children because they're inconvenient. Uh, I'm not ready to have one. Tough. Um, it, It would be horrible to bring this child into a poverty situation. Then do something about it. You know, it's my body. No, it's someone else's body that happens to be in your body. Hello. Okay? Uh, That's an abomination. Uh, It is easy to pick on those. But let's understand when we talk about abominations, things that are disgusting, repelling, uh, morally uh, wrong as far as God's concerned, let's look at a couple that we might need to do a little reflection on. How about lying? Lying in Proverbs 6, uh, 17 and 19. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. These two verses are after verse 16. Six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to Him. Lying. Chapter 12, verse 22. And it's down here someplace. But I can't find it right now, so if I find it... Oh, there it is. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. You know, the Word of God is truth. Jesus said He was truth. This is why lying is an abomination, because it is contrary to the character of God. And yet, a white lie is okay. Okay. How many of us have heard that? How many of us us have participated in that? It's something that God hates. Pride. Oy vey. Verse 17 of uh, Proverbs 6, a proud look. Uh, 16, verse 5, everyone everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Uh, Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Oh, wow. Again, pride. I I remember uh, people talking about my dad. My my dad had a problem with pride. I grew up in that family. (laughs) Guess what? It's very easy to be proud. About what? My, My family line, going back at least a few generations, has nothing to be proud of. We're talking drunks, adulterers. You know, may, maybe go back a few more generations and we have a, a blind great-great-uncle who was the national wood-splitting champion in Massachusetts. Something to be proud of. No, that's a God-given ability. The guy was blind and he, he still could split wood like there's no tomorrow. Uh, my grandfather was... Uh, featherweight, and he went up against a uh, uh, heavyweight back in the early 1900s. And uh, my grandfather was so fast, the guy never laid a hand on him uh, until the end of the fight. One punch, boom, (laughs) knocked him out. But yeah, a lot of pride. God hates it. Because even if you can do something well, what do you have that you did not receive. Ouch. Okay. Uh, How about cheating in business? Now, that's my terminology for the verses. Uh, Listen to what the verses say. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike. And I lost the other half of the verse. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest scales are not good. The idea here is I'm taking advantage of a situation so that I might cheat someone and make a little bit of extra. Uh, So cheating in business, it's an abomination. When I uh, first got into the Bible church movement, I was kind of surprised at how many Christian businessmen were in the church that they were deacons on Sunday and they were not very godly Christian businessmen through the week. It's one of those things we need to be careful of. Wickedness and leadership. It's so easy to pick on the politicians when you're looking at the Bible, but let's not go there. Okay, Proverbs 16, 12. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. Uh, now, obviously that deals with more of the political realm, but how many times have I heard about pastors? Who have done things, and I'm not just talking about you know committing adultery with their secretary or with a counselor or something like that. They're running the church kind of like a tyrant. and it's kind of like, yeah, that's not the way to do business. Uh, so wickedness and leadership. Uh, things that are highly esteemed by men. Uh, Luke sixteen fifteen, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. If you will, another way of saying this is friendship with the world, or love of the world. Uh, James 4, 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, in the context, what is going on? People are fighting with one another. They're arguing about stuff. I want this. You must concede. And they're saying, no, I want this. You must concede. Now, does that not sound like some young people in the family? Uh, I'm not picking on this young man because in doing marriage counseling, can I tell you? <laughs> Nothing changes, okay? Uh, adult people doing exactly the same thing. And this is what God says. They're adulterers and adulteresses, not because they've cheated on one another. They're cheating on God by loving the world, by being a friend of the world. What is the world all about? Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 Love not the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Notice, what I want, what I want, what I want. I want what I see, I want what my body wants, and I want everybody to think something special about me. That is why they're fighting. Because they want what they want. Not worried about what God wants. And that is an abomination because they're being a friend of the world. Ouch. How about being a hearer of the word but not a doer? We all know the verse in James chapter 1, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. If you're a hearer, you're like a person that's looked at his natural face in the mirror and then you walk away and forget what you're like. Okay? You've deceived yourself. Well, what does Proverbs say about that? Proverbs 11.20, those who are a perverse heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their ways are His delight. Notice, one is blameless in their ways. They're doing what God has said. The other one has got a perverse heart. In other words, they're not doing what God has said. Okay? How about uh, Proverbs 28.9? One who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination So he hears the law, but now he rejects it. I think Pastor uses the example of one who holds the Word behind his back. He's got it. He's not interested in doing it. Okay? So he's a hearer of the Word, not a doer. And then, of course, justifying the wicked. (laughs) We talk about a two-tier justice system in America, and it's obvious that uh, it's become that in some ways. But uh, notice what God says. He who justifies the wicked... If you haven't noticed, in a lot of the bigger cities in America today, when people do things wrong, we're not putting them in jail. We're not even holding them on bail. We're letting them right back out on the street. They are okay in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, supposedly we'll get them back to court somewhere in the rush. But we're not dealing with business. You've basically said that person is okay in the eyes of the law. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just... Okay, here's why Facebook might say, no, you're, you can't have that. The January 6th group to hold people in solitary confinement for months on end in, in a prison that was soaked with mold. When they were finally got checked on, they had to clean it all up and, and pretend like everything was good. And then to put them in jail for years because they happened to be in Washington, D.C. One guy wasn't even in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, but because he was the head of this particular group, put him in jail for 11 years. Obviously, he had to have planned the whole thing. And it's kind of like, you know, the more information we're getting, they didn't do anything. Yes, there were some people, but the police were escorting them through the building. Um, Yeah, Condemn the just. But of them alike are the abomination, both of them alike. The one who justifies the wicked, the one who condemns the just, they're both an abomination. And again, uh, what about uh, how does this apply in our daily living? Um, Someone comes to you and says that your kid's done something. My kid wouldn't do that. You haven't even done an investigation yet. You might be guilty of an abomination. I always go, and, when my kids were at home, I'd always go and ask them, okay, what happened? I'd ask other people that were there at the time, what happened? And uh, there were times when my kids did things that would not have been considered correct. They stuck up for their brother, and they threw someone in the pool. Good for you. I'm glad you stuck up for your brother. They were picking on their brother. Uh, I think they threw the kid in the pool at one point, so the older brothers did the same thing to them. Well, he could have drowned. The older brothers wouldn't have let the kid they threw in the pool drown. They just gave him a taste of his own medicine. It's a good way to learn sometimes. Uh, But uh, the reality is, is I want to know what happened before I say my kid wouldn't do that. There were times when uh, my kids, uh, they, they said that this happened with my kid. And after I found out what happened, I took my kids out for ice cream. Because they didn't do anything wrong, you know. Uh, but I hear all too often, my kid wouldn't do that, and it's kind of like your kid is a dirty, rotten scum of the earth sinner. He may know Jesus, but he may not yet because he's still young enough. Where we'll see, you know. So why would you say my kid wouldn't do that? Because chances are he would. <laughs> okay, and that's an abomination. All right, let's close in prayer. Um, we, we've gone from. Fear the Lord, seeking wisdom for the purpose of trust and worship. This is all, in essence, loving God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. As we move into topics dealing with relationships and work and stuff like that, that's going to be loving your neighbor as yourself. Consider it that way. Let's pray. Father, again we thank you for your love, for your care, for this time in your word. Ask that you continue to guide and guide us and direct us into all truth, and not only to have knowledge, uh, but to be putting it into the practice uh, by the power of your Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen.